If you'd like a way to earn extra money by giving your opinion on products that you already use or new products that are currently in development, you should check out User Interviews. User Interviews connects researchers with quality participants. Participants earn money for their feedback on real products, and it's free to sign up. You can apply to your first study in under five minutes, and most studies are less than an hour and pay over $60. Some studies pay several hundred dollars for a one-on-one -on -one interview. This extra income would be great to add to an emergency fund or an investment account, or even if you just want to treat yourself. Are you ready to earn extra income from sharing your expert opinion? Head over to userinterviews.com slash hello to sign up and participate today. Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Connie, and along with 90s pop sensation Meg, and she's going to tell us about the pizza bomber. It's the pony. It is the it's pony. The high pill. pony. She's back. My hair grew enough for the high pony. I love the high pony on you. It's my go-to I'm tired hairstyle. Mm -hmm. It's a good one. That's why I have the um, braids today. It's my go-to didn't wash my hair I'm, for two days. <laughs> I'm tired. I didn't wash my hair. Uh, I will. I was informed that I needed to update people on the Christmas chair. So after this episode, I will update on the Christmas chair. <laughs> I love the update for this, though. It's hilarious. Uh, okay. At 2.28 p.m. on August 28, 2003, 46-year-old pizza guy Brian Wells walked into a PNC bank in Erie, Pennsylvania. He was crutching on a walking cane. He approached the teller, handed them a note that read, Gather employees with access codes to vault and work fast to fill this bag with $250,000. You only have 15 minutes. The teller told Wells that no one there ha could open the vault, but she gave him $8,702, put it into the bag, and Wells left with that bag of money, not the $250,000 she came in for. What a disappointment. <laughs> really, uh, really took a cut there. About 10 minutes later at 2.38, a teller called 911 from the bank and reported that they had been robbed by a male who was leaving the bank with a bomb or something wrapped around his neck. According to witnesses at the bank and surveillance footage, after entering the bank, Wells waited in line, and when he reached the counter, he began sucking on a lollipop, like a dumb, dumb lollipop that he took. And he appeared confident as he left the bank. He was swinging his cane gun and the bag of money he had. One of somebody who saw him said he looked like Charlie Chaplin swinging it around. He, when he gave her that letter, he did have a bomb latch to his neck. Looked kind of like a big handcuff. Yeah, I'm so sorry to laugh, but I just think like, can you imagine being like behind this guy and being like, bro, what's in your neck? Yo, is that a bomb? Like, and, he, yeah. and he's just like swinging his cane like Charlie Chaplin, like, like eating a lollipop How with the money in the bag. Most chaotic bank robbery ever, it sounds like. Brian Wells was born in Warren, Pennsylvania to Rose and Harold Wells in 1973 as a 16-year-old sophomore. He dropped out of Erie's East High School and went to work as a mechanic. Brian eventually found himself delivering pizza at Mamma Mia's Pizzeria, and he was a solid employee. By 2003, he had been working there for a decade. He was never late. He never called off. He only came in late once because his cat died. On the day of this bank robbery, he had almost finished with his shift. Brian was almost finished with his shift the day that he ended up walking into PNC Bank. His co-workers recalled that he had left the pizza shop to make one last delivery of two small sausage and pepperoni pizzas. The location he had gone to was strange, though. Someone had called it in from a payphone, and he was going to this wooded area that wasn't far from major roads, but it was still remote, and it had... He went to a transmission tower for WSEE TV, and you could only get to this transmission tower by a long dirt road that went into the woods. And as a pizza driver, that's a red flag for me. I would be like, mm-hmm, nope. I'd have been like, no, the end of the street. 
<laughs> you can come out and get it. I would text that DoorDash like, you meet me. I'll leave it right yeah. here for you. Send him a picture at the end of the road. I would suck up the losses, eat the pizza, and go back to work. The next time the employees at Mama Mia's heard from Brian, he was being arrested for bankruptcy. After Brian robbed the PNC, he pulled out of the parking lot in his Geo Metro and drove to a McDonald's. He stopped here briefly before police arrived and pulled him over in the parking lot of next door, Eyeglass World. He was promptly surrounded by officers and shortly thereafter news cameras. And this was about three o'clock. So in the this has been a half an hour for this to happen. Brian was put in handcuffs and he announced to police that there was a bomb around his neck and it was going to go off very soon. Initially, they did not believe him. They talked about, oh, it was probably fake. I doubted this is a real bomb, but it did look real and it was beeping and it was attached to him and your face is saying something to me. Go ahead. <laughs> like, why would you be like, really not real? Because on the off chance, eh? Well, so, and that's what they're trained to do. So they do behave as though it's real. But in the documentary I watched about it, they talked about how they were like, this is a, it's a fake. It's a fake. But once oh, so they, they were, were like, telling him that it was a fake. No, they were just saying probably to each, I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm assuming it was like them talking with each other first on the scene. Like, there's no way this guy has a bomb literally in a neck size handcuff around his neck, right? That's that's crazy. That is crazy. But they cleared out the pedestrians. They sat him in the, on the ground. Everyone backed up. They stopped traffic, so no traffic was coming in or out. And in the news footage, because cameras were there, you can see them go up to Brian sitting on the ground and they kind of lift this shirt he has on and they say, looks like a bomb to me. And then they all back off and isolate him. Brian, You're also, your own, bro. <laughs> they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Brian was wearing two shirts. One that had been covering the bomb said yes across the front. Uh, and his coworker said that Brian had not been wearing that shirt when he left to deliver the pizzas. He appeared pretty calm at first. He was explaining to them that he had been accosted by a group of men when he went to deliver the pizza. They had locked this bomb around his neck and forced him to rob a bank. He asked officers to call his boss, and he continued telling them that it was a real bomb and that it was going to go off and that they didn't have much time. While initially he was calm, his panic began to set in when the bomb began to start beeping faster and faster. And they called the bomb squad. They called them, but they had blocked traffic to keep civilians away. And the bomb squad could not get to the location because they had blocked traffic. And this was unfortunate because that bomb went off three minutes before the bomb squad arrived. Oh, no. It blew a five-inch hole in Brian Wells's chest, killed him almost instantly, and it was 3.18 p.m. This whole thing Sweet was man. There's a docuseries called Evil Genius on Netflix about this case, and it's really good. It's very interesting. But the footage of this happening is jarring. It's like Faces of Death, which is like an internet thing from Wild Wild West Internet, whereas it was just videos of people dying in horrific ways. It was awful. And I guess something technical happened, so they didn't air it on TV, but some like shock jockey got a hold of it and started releasing this until he was forced to stop but it is very scary and it is in that documentary like you can watch it but be warned it's made me feel yucky as the bomb squad examined the device that had been strapped around brian's neck they found that the collar had three bands that locked the bands were locked with three separate keyholes and a three-digit combination the neck bands were attached to a metal box that contained two pipe bombs Pipe bombs were made out of kitchen timers, an electrical timer, wires that connected to nothing. It kind of seemed like it would throw off anyone who was trying to dismantle it. It was covered with stickers that held warnings for anyone who might try to dismantle it as well. It was pretty well made for... Like a homemade bomb. For a homemade bomb, yeah. And if it stopped there, this would be a mini episode. But the layers of this case just continued to be peeled back as investigators began trying to learn what happened to Brian Wells. In Wells's car, they found a hoard of evidence. First, they found what appeared to be his cane. But upon closer inspection, his walking cane turned out to be a long cane-shaped 
hand-built gun. Both the both the bomb and the gun had clearly been crafted using professional tools. Like someone who knew what they were doing built both of these things. Next, within Brian's car was a set of pages addressed to bomb hostage. The note dictated that Wells was to rob PNC Bank of $250,000. And afterward, he was given instructions for a complex scavenger hunt. There were maps, explicit instructions on the roads he should take. It was riddled with threats to prevent him from seeking help. And one part of it, you can see it says, act now, think later, and you will die. These instructions were to lead Brian to the keys and combination that he would need to disengage and remove the bomb collar to save his own life. In the note, it said that every time he found one, more time would be added, but that was not true. Police ended up going through the things and he would not have ever been able to get all the things he needed to unlock that collar without it going off. Oh my God, that's awful. Doesn't it sound like a Saw movie? It does sound like a Saw movie and I feel kind of bad for making fun of how he was robbing the bank with the bag and the lollipop. Yeah, I get that. Don't worry. There's This just keeps going. We're just going to keep doing this. Saw came out in 2004 though and this happened in 2003. So you can make your own comparisons. But I feel like maybe there was a little inspiration here. The head thing. You remember the head thing? Mm -hmm. Did you watch the Saw movie? I only watched the first one and I was like, that's enough for me. Yeah, I watched the first one. And after that, I was like, well, what are they going to do? The same thing over and over? Okay. Yeah, nine times, actually. I'm good. Nine times. (laughs) Uh, So the initial note that Brian had told him to go to the McDonald's near PNC Near the 24-hour drive through sign, there would be a rock, and under that rock would be his next instructions. And so he left the PNC, made it to McDonald's, and found under that rock another two-page note telling him that he needed to drive another two miles to get his next clue, which he would find in another wooded area. It was going to be in a receptacle marked with orange tape. Brian had been arrested before making it to his next location, but police began to finish the hunt. They drove to search for the next clue, and when they uncovered the container with orange tape, it was another note. It directed the bomb hostage to drive another two miles for another jar marked with orange tape. Following the instructions, the police located the next jar, but it was empty. They believed that whoever was responsible for this had been watching, and they had abandoned the scavenger hunt after Brian was arrested. So they think that they were going to them and putting them in there before he got there and actually watching him do this, which is scary. It's sick. The areas where the clues had been found were taped off to prevent the public and the media from disturbing any crime scenes. But the day after Brian's murder, reporters for the Erie Times News drove to the tower, that first location where he had been accosted, and they were going to get some information and take pictures for the story that was still unfolding. Fortunately for them, as they pulled up, the man who owned the home next to the tower, William, also called Bill Rothstein, happened to be in his yard. Rothstein was a big guy. He wore denim Carhartt overalls. He sported a full beard. He made a living as a handyman and a part-time shop teacher, but he also spoke fluent French and Hebrew. The reporters asked if he could take them to the edge of his property, which happened to back up right to that wooded tower area. No problem. They walked to the area, they got the images they wanted, and they were gone within 15 minutes. The leads in general were pretty minimal initially, but cracks started to form about a month later on September 20th when Bill Rothstein called 911. You might be wondering, like, oh, did the culprit returned to the tower and Bill saw them? No. Bill called to report a dead body in his own garage freezer. What? <laughs> what? I know. I know. So about a month later, near where this happened, Bill called and he said, I have a dead body in my freezer. Here's my address. And police arrived and arrested him immediately. He explained that he had been contemplating suicide for weeks because he had had this body in his freezer for five weeks, and the guilt was weighing down on him. He told investigators about the suicide note that they could find in his home office. It was in one of his desk drawers. And when they retrieved the note, it contained 
what I think we typically think of when we consider like a suicide note. It was apologies to people who cared about him. But the opening line read, this has nothing to do with the Wells case. That's all it said. First line. This has nothing to do with the Wells case. It's kind of weird. Like, why would you write that? You know? Yeah. If it didn't have anything to do with it, why would you say that? Yeah. But I could we see why he would if it's like his property. You know, like if maybe really things- close. Yeah. I, yeah, I could see that. I could see it. His house was near the location of the pizza delivery. That was it. So they just kind of took this information, put it in their back pocket, hoped that they could expand upon it at a later date. This is Bill weird. Ross, <laughs> Bill began explaining to officers that in mid-August, his ex-girlfriend, Marjorie, a woman that he had dated in the late 60s and early 70s, had called him. This is 2003. Yeah. We're, we're past the late 60s and early 70s. Yeah. Let it go, bro. In the early 70s, Marjorie Deal Armstrong was a graduate student earning her master's degree in education. And by all accounts, she had an effect on most of the men she dated. Bill said that Marjorie had called him and told him that she had shot her boyfriend, James Roden. The two had been fighting over money when Marjorie ended the quarrel by shooting James in the back with a 12-gauge shotgun. And now she needed help. Could Bill please come and help her clean and get rid of the body and the murder weapon? And Bill was like, for $2,000, yep, sure thing. And he went and he helped her clean everything. He put the body in his own freezer and he melted down the rifle bit by bit, scattering pieces of it all over the county. Bill was supposed to grind the body down, but he had not been able to go through with it. And he called 911 because he feared what Marjorie would do to him. The day after Rothstein called 911, Marjorie Deal Armstrong was arrested for the murder of James Rhodes. Sixteen months after that was January 2005. And after being tried, Deal Armstrong pleaded guilty but mentally ill. She was sentenced to 20 years in state prison directly because of Bill's testimony. And here's the thing. Rothstein's not like an angel. Yeah, he taught shop. He was a handyman in the community. Um, he was a part of this group called the Fractured Intellectuals, who are a group of people that are intelligent but not well-adjusted. He was involved in the 1977 murder of a friend. He gave a handgun to someone he knew, and that was used to murder a romantic rival. He later attempted to destroy the weapon for them, but was granted immunity from prosecution in exchange for his testimony. While the trial of the murder of James Roden was going on, he was admitted to Mill Creek Community Hospital on July 23, 2004. Bill had previously been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and he died on July 30, 2004, at only 60 years old. So while he is like the main person in the testimony for this case... And we'll learn in the Brian Wells case, he dies before he can ever do that. So there's a lot of information missing. Marjorie Deal Armstrong was born February 26th, 1949. She was very smart. She graduated valedictorian of her class before attending Mercyhurst College to major in sociology and social work. She did, however, suffer from some pretty severe mental illnesses. She was a hoarder. She frequently experienced extreme manic episodes of paranoia. She had been in therapy since she was a child to help her work through all of these diagnoses. She'd been diagnosed since she was a kid. By 1975, she was working on her master's degree in education. And in 1984, she met and began dating Robert Thomas. Marjorie and Robert had a tumultuous relationship. Violent fights and screaming were the norm until the end of their relationship when Marjorie ended up shooting Robert six times in the chest. She was charged with his murder, but acquitted as the shooting was deemed self-defense. While she was under investigation, detectives found 400 pounds of butter and more than 700 pounds of rotting cheese in her house, which I know doesn't seem to go with this case but i felt one that i really wanted to share that and two after this investigation psychiatrists deemed her mentally incompetent seven separate times before a judge eventually ruled that she was fit to stand trial seven times psychiatrists were like no this woman is not competent to stand trial but a judge was like yeah i think she is i don't know i feel like there should be a three strikes rule 
Like if you get, I feel like psychiatrists know more than judges, but that's just me. About this specifically, yeah. I'm like judges know a lot. Judges are smart people. But like when it comes to mental health, we all have fields, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's like if you're ruled mentally incompetent three separate times by three psychiatrists, you now need like professional clinical support. I agree. That's should just be. I don't know. But after this, after this happened, she gets acquitted for self-defense. Marjorie, re- she marries Richard Armstrong, which is how she goes from Marjorie Deal to Marjorie Armstrong. Four years later, Richard was rushed to the hospital with a severe brain bleed after he arrived with a head injury. Marjorie told the hospital that he had just taken a nasty fall and he died at the hospital. His death was ruled accidental. So this is now three separate men linked to Marjorie that have died. Two of them directly by her shooting them and one of them under mysterious circumstances. But that's not, there are actually a couple of others that fall into this category of men who didn't make it out of their relationship. Holy cannoli. So how does that relate to Brian Wells, though? Because yeah, like, take me back, because I'm getting The murder seems here. separate. Bill Rothstein gets spooked, maybe due to the crime happening so close to his house, and he's like, I'm going to give myself and Marjorie up because he saw cops, and he's like, they're on to me, you know? I could see that kind of paranoid thinking. And that's kind of what police thought, too. The FBI was now working on the pizza bomber, and they were like, these two cases are unrelated. Due to his abilities as a handyman and, you know, like melting down guns and working with metal, it's actually largely believed that Bill Rothstein was the person who crafted the collar bomb that Brian Wells had locked around his neck. During the Rodin trial, so the guy that Bill had come to help Marjorie clean up, the FBI got a phone call from a state police officer who had just met with Deal Armstrong, and she claimed that Bill Rothstein's suicide note had you know, said, this has nothing to do with the Wells case. She said that it had everything to do with the Wells case. So they met with her and she told them that if they would arrange a transfer from Muncie State Penitentiary to a minimum security prison in Cambridge Springs, then she would tell them everything she knew. And she did. She told them all about how Rothstein was the mastermind between behind this whole thing. It was all him. Right around the time that Marjorie was trying to get into this minimum security prison with promises of unveiling everything she knew, a witness came forward. Kenneth Barnes had let it slip to his brother-in-law that he had been a part of the pizza bombing. And after he was picked up on unrelated drug charges, because he was a crack dealer, his brother-in-law actually came forward and told police that Kenneth Barnes had been involved with that bombing. So they're like, okay, we're going to threaten him with extra jail time. And Barnes was like, nope, I'll give a full of account of what happened. Oh, wow. The robbery, the bombing, and exchange, I'll just take a reduced sentence. So he was like, nope, I will sell everyone out immediately. Good for that him. would be me. Yep. It's like when she calls him up, your girlfriend, my f- former significant other from my past called me up and was like, hey, can you help do this? I would be like a quick get fucked and I would hang that phone up and block that number. Dude, if any of my exes from like... <laughs> back in the day called me like hey i shot this girl i need your help i would be like new phone who this like <laughs> yeah i'm moving i'm changing my number why do you have it we're out i'm actually here. calling the police right now i'm calling the police so yeah bye what- <laughs> smell you later oh my god yes i will come help give me all of the details hold on one second let me hit record <laughs> tell me what's going on what happened my goodness um, so Kenneth and Marjorie were allegedly romantically linked, and they had been living off of money that Marjorie's mother had left to her and her father after she had died. And this made her dad angry. And her dad was like, I'm going to cut you off from this trust unless you get a job. Like pretty much, which fair, fair, fair. Yeah. Barnes told the feds that Marjorie was the mastermind behind everything. She needed the money because she was going to pay him to kill her dad. Marjorie said that her dad was spending all of her inheritance and she wanted him stopped so that she could get the money that she was owed to her. And these plans were all made at Kenneth Barnes's home between himself, Marjorie, and Bill. Barnes told her that he was willing to kill her dad for $250,000, which is like 
$360,000 in today's money. So the first plan was to rob a bank. And then they were like, no, we'll get someone else to rob the bank. And the bomb plan was hatched in order to get this initial $250,000. So I'm guessing the trust must have been pretty large for her to be willing to pay someone to get a hold of it. Kenneth Barnes knew a lot and a little about the plan. Most of what he knew did align with what they already believed was true about Marjorie, though. Immediately after Brian Wells had died, investigators searched his house and they found a list of people that he knew. Phone book, something. This list included the names of two unknown women and like unknown to his family. They were like, we have no idea who these women are. They turned out to be sex workers that Wells associated with, one whose name was Jessica Hoopsick. Jessica knew Kenneth Barnes via the drugs that Barnes was selling. According to some reports, Wells actually participated in the planning of the bank robbery the day before and was aware of the plot. But he thought that the bomb was going to be fake and it would just be an alibi if he was caught. But there's an FBI affidavit that says two witnesses confirmed Wells talked about the robbery a month before it occurred. Wells was seen leaving Rothstein's house the day before the incident. And investigators believe that he participated in a rehearsal. It was believed Wells was killed to reduce the number of witnesses. But Brian's friends and family dispute these claims, which I understand. Jessica Hoopsick actually appeared in the documentary Evil Genius and said that she had set Wells up to be involved with this crime. She gave his name and his delivery schedule and when he worked to one of the co-conspirators in exchange for money and drugs. So it's kind of bleary how much Brian Wells did or did not know. And we still don't know. And there's a reason why we still don't. There was actually another man who lived with Bill Rothstein as well. Jay Stockton Jr. was a convicted rapist of a disabled teenager. He was living as a fugitive. So gross. Living as a fugitive at Rothstein's house. And he was granted immunity for his involvement in the crimes if he would testify. So what was clear was that Marjorie, Bill, Kenneth, Jay, all very involved. And honestly, they believe that James Raiden was also involved and was murdered during the planning phase. And that's why he was murdered. So it was February of 2006, three years later, when agents were finally like, we're going to meet with Marjorie and her lawyer. And they said, hey, we have enough evidence and we have enough witnesses that we can indict you on this. And she was furious. So mad that she started talking in an attempt to clear her name and just kept talking, like word vomiting what had happened and that why she wasn't responsible. And she agreed to drive around with agents and show them where she was when Wells had robbed the bank. And conveniently, she accidentally revealed that she had been at a lot of the same locations that were already linked to the crimes committed that day when Brian had robbed the bank. After the drive that she said she would do, she was like, okay. I'm not talking anymore unless I get an immunity letter. But it was a little late for that because she had already given them everything. They're like, oh, yeah, you don't get one of those now. Uh Uh-uh. Sorry, you did it all yourself. It took almost six years after the bombing and bank robbery before Marjorie Deal Armstrong was set to stand trial. On March 11th, 2009, she was found incompetent to stand trial. Then, in September, a judge declared that he believed she could stand trial. And she did. She defended herself on the stand and she lost. On November 1st, 2010, Deal Armstrong was convicted of armed bank robbery, conspiracy to commit armed bank robbery, and use of a destructive device in a crime. On February 28th, 2011, she was sentenced to life in prison to be conserved consecutively with the prison term she got in 2005 for killing James Roden. In 2012, the Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit affirmed her conviction. In 2013, they denied her petition for an appeal, and they declined to hear her case at all. In 2015, she lost a second appeal of her conviction. Good. They really were like, no, no. She sounds like she's freakishly smart and can just manipulate people into doing what she wants. So So if she can manipulate this many guys, like who knows what kind of manipulating she was doing to these psychologists and psychiatrists. I I love that you said that because that ties in. As you probably know, Gruesome uses Zencaster to record, produce, and analyze all on one podcast platform. 
If investing is something that you're interested in, you'll be excited to learn that Zencaster has recently opened a funding round, allowing listeners like you to own a stake in the company. More than 30,000 passionate creators actively use Zencaster, and it has become the preferred platform for creators to create, grow, and monetize their podcast. Podcasting advertising was the fastest growing marketing channel in 2021. If you're interested in investing in Zencaster, go to wefunder.com slash Zencaster or click the link in our episode description below to claim your slice of the future of podcasting. While she was in prison, she started writing to two different people. She started writing to Catherine Whiteley and Trey, oh man, Borzillieri. Borzillieri, I think that's right. And we'll Trey is the producer of Evil Genius. And Catherine also produced a documentary about women who have been incarcerated for life in Pennsylvania. Trey believes that Marjorie was a manipulative sociopath who did whatever she could do to get what she wanted. And Catherine thinks, and Catherine started writing to her with no knowledge of her crimes. He And she encourages that she's more than her crime. But I think both can be true, and I think both are true. The number of, it's crazy, this guy has like two full huge boxes of letters that he wrote with her back and forth. Um, Armstrong denied she was involved in any way, just that she knew about it until she died in 2017 when she was 68. So pretty much everyone involved with this case has died. And that is why there are no answers, really. We don't really fully know how much Brian Wells was involved with and how much he wasn't. Pretty sure that Marjorie and Bill were the two main people, like, pulling all the strings. Yeah. But just a very twisty, turny, messy. And honestly, I think that Marjorie was a serial killer and she was killing men. You know, she was killing men. Oh, for sure. They only have to, if there's a cooling off period, three or more killers, three or more murders, cooling off period in between. That's mm-hmm. a serial killer. Yep. I, be- I believe that that's true. So I do think that she should have been in jail for life anyways. I was a little shocked that they were, that they just kept saying like, she's not all there. Like she's not competent to do this. She is not. But if her intellect is as high as it is to be able yeah, to Yeah, was she just people? like twisting it to get that answer? Mm-hmm. And like, would only someone that mentally ill be able to twist it to that point to get that answer? I feel like it's a yeah. catch-22. But that's the pizza bomber. It's also known as the collar bomber. Paperlike is a magical screen protector for your iPad that makes it feel like you are writing on paper. I use my iPad to take notes for school and to journal and to plan my whole life out. And I love that I get the convenience of writing on my iPad with the comfort of it feeling like I'm writing or drawing on paper. To pick up your own Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com gruesome, click buy Paperlike and select your iPad size. From now until January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost with every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. Ready to do more with your iPad? Head over to paperlike.com gruesome to get started. Man, that's a horrific way to die. It is. That video messed me up for the rest of the day when I watched it. I was like... And my husband happened to be sitting in the room with me. And he's like, oh, are you doing some murder stuff? I was like, yep, just watching this. And he happened to come in right before it happened. And he was like, that's awful. Why are you watching that? I'm like, I don't, I just need it. I want to know what happens. But it was, jar- it's very jarring. Jarring is the right word. It's like, I'm going to look it up as soon as we're done with this. It's within the first 10 minutes of the first episode. You can see it. Okay. Man, I do think... uh Sorry, there were so many people. I have some of them mixed up. The yeah, guy, that's okay. There, it was a lot. It's very twisty turning. There's a lot guy, of people. Who had the guy in his freezer? That was Bill. Okay. That was the guy. I think Bill definitely had something to do with it. And maybe he thought she was going to flip on him. And that's why he was like, hey, look what she did. I, there's a very large group of people that believe that Bill did all of it just to pull one over on the cops. Like, there's a very large group of people that does it. But I don't know that it was just Bill. I think it was maybe the two of them. Like, they each found, like, 
a sadistic partner in each other that they could yeah together i guess we'll never know and we truly won't because i mean he died within a year of that happening maybe he just thought he had nothing else to lose maybe he was right that's wild Mm -hmm. and i like it's unfortunate for brian however he became involved whether it was like knowingly or unknowingly it's still i mean that woman saying that she him, like she was like, oh, yeah, I sold him out. I told him where he was going to be and when he, they could like get to him and where he worked. I don't I know. Mean, if I mean, I it's just it's so. Yeah, go ahead. Like <laughs> such a stand up guy, like never misses work. You know, like, I mean, we've heard crazier things, but it's just weird that he was a willing participant in this. Mm-hmm. And I I honestly don't know that it, that's true. And I would probably. For for my own brain, I'm going to veer on the side if he didn't know. But it seems like there was a lot of people with their hand in the cookie jar. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was convinced was... to do it. Obviously, he had no idea that bomb was real. Like, if he was involved, he had no idea the bomb was real. Because who who's going to let them latch that onto them? And he's going on a scavenger hunt trying to f- He's actively moving through these clues trying to figure out how to get it off. Like, maybe it was latched and then... Maybe it was one of those, like, once he got it on, they were like, oh, yeah, by the way, you this have is to real. do this. This is real. And I think it is probable that they told him it was fake and then he got it on and realized it was real. And the whole plan was to eliminate another person whose hand might have been in the cookie jar. That yeah, less people alive, less witnesses. <sighs> Man, that's wild. That sounds, oh, I don't even want to think about and then there's of- people who just come out of the woodwork like Kenneth Barnes and Jay Stockton. You're like, where did you even come from? Why are you here? Yeah, it's like I need a notebook. Like, I need that board from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> the strings go into I bet that's what the FBI room looked like when they were working on the pizza bomber. <laughs> they were like, wait a second, Bill, Brian, who the fuck else? Like, <laughs> what is your Jim, Jeff, Joe, Kenny, Jay, Marge? Gang's all, all here. The butter seems weird to me. I know. I I was like, this is not relevant to what I'm talking about, other than that it links into the fact that she was, but she was a hoarder. Like, and when they're describing her homes and stuff, they were full of trash. They were full of garbage and 700 pounds of rotting cheese. 400 pounds of butter and 400 pounds of cheese. Like 700 pounds of cheese. 700. Yeah. I probably have 10 pounds of cheese in my fridge right now and I'm running out of space. That's why it was rotting. It probably was just sitting on the floor somewhere. Like It's a disgrace to cheese, really. Just like let, let someone like me who would have eaten the cheese, like leave some cheese for the rest of us. Got to build a cheese cavern. It's like that cheese wheel. We went to the um, Christmas Kindle Mart in uh, Carmel this year for like Christmas time. And they had like where the, it's like the wedge of cheese and they just scrape it off onto a sandwich. You and had that? I had it. Oh, was it good? Nope. Nope. It was a little <laughs> overpowering. And I'm a cheese girl. What Love kind of cheese was it? I don't know, but it was stinky cheese. <laughs> was it good? Nope. Nope. It was too much. <laughs> but I think it's because I got the wrong meat associated with it. I should have got like the deluxe one with all the gherkins and all that on it. And I I went like a grilled cheese essentially. And it was too much cheese. Like I was like, it's too much stinky cheese. Too much um, well, how dare you for ruining that perfect vision for me? Sorry. <laughs> I would have loved it more had I gotten. Like, some people's looked really good. I had also had, like, four of the, um, what do you call them? The hot wine mold cider. I had, like, cider. four of those already. So maybe it was just me. <laughs> Could have been. This stinky cheese isn't acting right with this mold cider. <laughs> I want the pasta that they spin in the big cheese wheel. Yes. Every time That's I see it, I'm like, language. That's my love language. Pasta and a cheese wheel. Mm-hmm. All right. Tell the listeners about your chair. Okay. St. Karen texted me a couple days ago and was like, hey, you got to update some people about what happened with your dad's fucking raggedy ass chair. And here's what happened. He finally came over. And he came over and he walked in my house and he said, oh, did you get a chair? This is nice. And he sat in it immediately and was like, I was like, I'm glad you like it because it's your chair. Merry Christmas. And he was so happy. He was like, oh, you got here. I wanted a recliner for 20 years. He was absolutely delighted. I was like, 
I'm glad you like it because there's a story that goes with it. I told him the story and I showed him all the like parts that I had fixed and where to be careful with because my rip more and the pocket that I had made for it, just like everything. And he was like, wow, you really got had. I would have <laughs> left this piece of shit there. Like he immediately changed. He's like, I would have left that piece of shit sitting there and I got my money back. And I was like, I know, but I did not do that because that is not the life I lead. <laughs> and he um, took it home willingly, though I could tell he was disappointed. Like I, after I showed him all the stuff and like explained what had happened, I could see the disappointment in his eyes. But then he texted me a couple days later and said that he named it Grim because it puts him into a death-like sleep every time he sits in it. That's the best part. So he loves the chair. He says it's great, but he also said that I was had, and that's not fair. All of which are true. Yeah, I was had, but it is pretty comfortable. I fell asleep in it when it was in my house. So that is what happened with the chair. I'm sorry that I'm not good at coming back and like <laughs> remembering what we talked about and following up on that. You'll have to call me out if you want to hear other things that I promised we... and not delivered. <laughs> <laughs> We went to Indianapolis this weekend for Theo Vaughn. Oh, yeah. How was it? Well, we stayed at a great hotel. We <laughs> were looking for Mr. Beast Burger because my kids are obsessed with him. So I guess they had one downtown. But when I walked to the address, because it was like right around the corner from our hotel, it was a Buca de Beppo. So I don't know if it's like an underground thing. I don't know where this Beast Burger was, but I was too hungry and your girl couldn't wait. So Did across you go the street. Buca de Beppo? No, they had this Weber. Okay, because that's where I wanted to go. And my husband was all for, like, let me live out my sex in the city, like, girl in the city, fam you know, just I want to be frolicking around downtown Indianapolis. But the way his eyes lit up when he saw the Weber Grill restaurant was, like, on par to when he watched me birth our daughter. So <laughs> I was like, no, we have to go to the Weber. We'll go there. And it was a 10 out of 10. I would recommend that. It was amazing. We went to Theo Vaughn. He was okay. Like his podcast is better. A heckler really got to him though. And he like went off on this heckler. And then I feel like it threw the vibe off of the whole show. Ooh, and I yeah. wasn't even the one getting yelled at. And I felt guilty because he made, he's like, it's a rocky show, guys. It's just a rocky show. It's fine. The vibes are off. And I was like, I took that personally. You're like, I, my vibes aren't off. Your vibes are off. Remember when you were like. I'm going to Theo Vaughn and I gave you this face and I was like, it's fine. He's fine. And you just said it was okay. <laughs> it was okay. Afterwards, the highlight of the night though was we had a 10 o'clock at night. Like I know who am I? 10 o'clock at night reservation to St. Elmo's Steakhouse. Oh, did you get your, did your oh my freak God. flag on in there? An eight ounce filet was literal butter it was the most i've ever spent on a, a dinner in my entire life but i went you went to it. weber grill for first dinner and then had second dinner at say well <laughs> weber grill was like two o'clock in the afternoon it was oh like okay, lunch. okay. <laughs> yeah it was like lunch late lunch but gotcha i had plans because they have a sugar factory down there now and i was like i'm gonna go oh, to the sugar God. factory have one of the cool drinks but I was, you had to fucking roll me out of St. Elmo's. Like, I wanted to Uber. It was a you block had to get back away. To your robe. I did. I got back. I took a bath. I like did a face mask, put my robe on, and then slept the hardest I've slept in a while. It was so good. <laughs> the hardest you slept since the last time you didn't have kids around trying to wake yeah, up. Yeah. And then I had creme brulee for a midnight. Like, it was like the middle of the night. I woke up. I was like, oh, yeah, I have creme brulee. I got to go. And that yeah, was the best day like of my life. Weekend. Yeah, that sounds was, awesome. I did get the sugar factory for brunch. And that was, the experience was cool. It's, if I were 20, like going, or 22, going out with my girlfriends, it would be dope. I had a flight of mimosas, a Lucky Charms latte, and the sweetest pancakes I've ever had. But also, the experience was good, but it was just so, I like cake bake better. You like to cake bake better? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Good weekend. Did you get slippers as well as a robe at your hotel? Yeah, but they were. They were um, like foam bottom slippers, which were a little slippery, but you know, beggars can't be choosers in a five-star <laughs> hotel. They're not, they're not pulling out the, uh, the memory foam for their, yeah. all of their hotel guests. What the heck? I walked in in a cropped ACDC shirt, like leggings and my black Birkenstock boots. And I immediately was like, we do not fucking belong here. Okay. <laughs> 
This I'm is just not here the for the robe. I'm taking it this with me when I leave. I thought about it, but then I Googled how much it would cost to replace, and I was like, I don't want that bill on my credit card. How much would it cost to replace? Like $75. You can just buy your own robe for that. Yeah, I got a Pottery Barn robe that I found at Goodwill, and that's been pretty top tier, so. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's a good find. And then in two weeks, no, next weekend. It's next weekend. Next weekend, Megan and I are going to my cousin's drag show, and then we're staying in a hotel, and we're going to just order Ladies DoorDash. Let <laughs> <laughs> Sounds really exciting. Not going to be quite as frolicky, I think. But stay to Marriott. I think that's where we're going to end up. Hilton or Marriott. That- so it'll be nice. It'll be nice. We got it. Good vibes. No bad vibes. No Theo Vine yelling at people in the audience. It was weird. He was like, "Shut up, man. Shut up. Shut up." I know you're doing your thing, but we got to do this up here too. And I was just like, "Whoa, you're triggered right now, man. Are you okay? You're triggered right now, man." And I couldn't even really laugh after that because I was real nervous. Like, are you going to yell at me? And then you were know. mad that no one was laughing. Hecklers are weird. I know that sometimes they're, it's like funny to see the interaction, but I really, it's the same. Honestly, I get the same vibes with like giving things negative reviews. Like if it's really bad and you feel like you, maybe you had really bad food somewhere, you got sick. Like, and you're like, hey, I got sick here. It wasn't great. I'm just like, move on, you know? Yeah. Heckling like, people. I- not worth and it. And like the first time he just yelled something out and it was just, it sounded like he was just like, whoa, or something like that. And he was like, hey, no, look, we, we can't be having that. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. And then like, I didn't even hear what he said the second time for him to like keep yelling, shut up at him. But I was so like, I looked at my husband and both of us did awkward turtle. We were like, <laughs> time, time to go. Like any buzz I had was immediately gone because I Felt like he was yelling at me, even though I had nothing to do with it. But that's a trauma response, and that's on me, not him. So <laughs> I can't blame him for that. And the vibes were off, he said. He said, the vibes are off now. It's a rocky sh-. But, like, it also sucks to pay to go to a rocky show. Yeah, it was, like, you know who doesn't get thrown off by hecklers? Our girl, Eliza. That's the <laughs> best show. That's true. I would really like to see Taylor Tomlinson as well. I don't know who that is. Well, Maybe if I saw them. I think if you saw her, you would you would recognize her. I just, you know what I, my takeaway from the Eliza Slessinger show was the girl that was two rows in front of us off to the right who kept coughing. And she was coughing for the whole show. And this was when COVID first started. Like, we got shut down a week or two later. Oh, that's right. That did happen. I forgot that that was right around that time. That yeah, feels like, like it was like a couple months ago yeah, in my brain. Like, we had our elder mom. I was like, this is great. But <clears throat> the whole show. And I was like, I missed part of this. I'm going to have to watch the Netflix special because I don't even know some <laughs> of the stuff she said because this bitch won't quit coughing. How dare she? She probably had COVID and we all got it. And that's how it spread. That's why we weren't closed for two weeks. Man. Do you remember the beer pretzels that we had at the German restaurant before we went? Because those were good. Oh, yeah. At um, Raskeller. Is that what yeah. it was? Yeah. I don't remember. It was a German restaurant. It was amazing. Yeah, that place is really good. It's so good. They have a beer garden in the summer. That's really fun. Um, when did was that winter? Was that fall? No, it was spring. It was literally when did we shut down? March. We just April? said that twenty, like the last year, was like the longest, shortest year. I feel like everything from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty two is the same year. It is. Yeah, it absolutely feels like that. It's like it's and the it's, same year. It's like you didn't even get a year, but it also feels like it's taking an eternity. No. I'm hoping, uh, holding out hope that 2023 is like different. Dude, in 2023, my daughter turns five. So my last kid is whole hand. My middle son turns 10. So double digits. And my oldest turns 13. So it's like milestone, milestone, milestone. And I'm just like, kill me dead because I am not going to be able to handle all of this. My little brain was like, no, he needs to be 15. Like, I want a 5, 10, 15. You really did me dirty on that with your own children. Almost. I can't believe they're going to be five. That's nuts. Dude, I have 12 straight years of high school. When one graduates, the next starts three separate times. Hard pass. I'll stick with two separate times. (laughs) But they'll be in high school together. Like, they'll be, well, not like technically they're homeschooled, but, you know, they'll be going through it together. They'll be at home together. Yeah, that's exactly right. I don't know. We'll see what the future brings. I can't think that far ahead as usual. One day at a time, Connie. 
One day Not at me, a time. I'm a planner. I have like the next two months planned out to a T. I can do that again for other things in May. May is coming. Are we going to do next Saturday, uh, the 11th, our Patreon live? Yeah, we can. Honestly, Saturday. if... Oh, wait. That's the 11th. Wait. Where am I? We could do it the 10th on Friday. Well, it'd that's be what late. I think. Well, yeah, it'd be we late because the show is like 10. We can just pop on live for fun, though. Maybe we'll give you guys a double dosage. Double live. Double we should live. do it this coming weekend, 10th, 11th, or 12th. You guys can give us your feedback on that. But yeah, we'll we could probably pop it. We'll be together, which is not like we're not together very much. So we yeah. should do one kind of like that. Yeah, well, it'll be if we do it the 10th, it'll be late because the show is at like 10 o'clock at night. So it'll be like a midnight thing. It'll be late. That's what? 10 o'clock? Well, uh, what time is that? Nine. Nine, Nine o'clock on yeah. Pacific. And, um, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do just something quick and we'll pop on like we would do like we were in California and just kind of hang out for a few. That'd be fun. And then we can do that. Yeah, and then we'll have okay. a birthday party for my birthday. Bonnie's birthday. February ninth. We have a peel box if you want to send me gifts. Send her birthday cards. I love them. I love them. All right. On that note, see you guys next week. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should... Click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which... We love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 